Chapter Seven, Part Two of Mr. Waddington of Wick by May Sinclair. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Expatriate in Bangor, Maine. Chapter Seven, Part Two. Mr. Waddington had spoken for half an hour, expounding with some necessary repetitions the principles and objects of the league. He was supported on the platform by his chairman, Sir John Corbett and by the other members of his projected committee by lady corbett by fanny by the rector by mr thurston of the elms wick on the hill by mr bostock of parsons bank mr jackson and messrs jackson cleaver and company solicitors major markham of wick wold mr temple of norton in mark and mr hawtrey of medlicott and by his secretary miss barbara madden the body of the hall was packed beneath him in the front row he had the wives and daughters of his committeemen in its centre right under his nose he was painfully aware of the presence of young horace and ralph bevan colonel granger sat behind them conspicuous and mr waddington fancied a little truculent with his great square face and square clipped red moustache and on either side of colonel granger and behind him were the neighbouring gentry and the townspeople of wick the two grocers the two butchers the drapers and hotel-keeper and behind them again the servants of the manor and a crowd of shop assistants and further and further back farm labourers and artisans among these he recognised ballinger with several of colonel granger's and hitchin's men a pretty compact group they made and mr waddington was gratified by their appearance there and well in the centre of the hall above the women's hats he could see mr hitchin's bush of hair his shrewd round clean-shaven and rosy face his grey checked shoulders and red tie mr hitchin had the air of being supported by the entire body of his workmen mr waddington was gratified by mr hitchin's appearance too and he thought he would insert some expression of that feeling in his peroration he was also profoundly aware of mrs levitt sitting all by herself in an empty space about the middle of the third row from time to time ralph bevan and young horace fixed on fanny waddington and barbara delighted eyes and faces of a supernatural gravity young horace was looking odd and unlike himself with his jaws clamped together in his prodigious effort not to giggle whenever barbara's eyes met his and ralph's a faint smile quivered on her face and flickered and went out once horace whispered to ralph bevan isn't he going it and ralph whispered back he's immense he was he felt immense he felt that he was carrying his audience with him the sound of his own voice excited him and whipped him on it was a sort of intoxication he was soaring now up and up into his peroration it is a gratification to me to see so many working men and women here to-night they are specially welcome we want to have them with us do not distrust the working man the working man is sound at heart sound at head too when he is let alone and not carried away by the treacherous arguments of ignorant agitators we myself and the founders of this league have not that bad opinion of the working man which his leaders his misleaders i may call them appear to have we believe in him we know that if he were only let alone there is no section of the community that would stand more solid for order and good government than he hear hear from colonel granger ralph whispered camouflage 
to horace who nodded there is nothing in the aims of this league contrary to the interests of labour on the contrary he heard as if somebody else had perpetrated it the horrible repetition i mean to say his brain fought for another phrase madly and in vain on the contrary it exists in order to safeguard the true interests the best interests of every working man and woman in the country hear hear from sir john corbett mr waddington smiled president wilson he became agitated and drank water president wilson talked about making the world safe for democracy well if we you and i all of us don't take care the world won't be safe for anything else it certainly won't be safe for the middle classes for the great business and professional classes for the class to which i for one belong the class of english gentlemen it won't be safe for us not that i propose to make a class question of it to make a class question of it would be more than wrong it would be foolish it would be a challenge to revolution the first step towards letting loose unchaining against us those forces of disorder and destruction which we are seeking to keep down i am not here to insist on class differences to foment class hatred those differences exist they always will exist but they are immaterial to our big purpose this is a question of principle the great principle of british liberty are we going to submit to the tyranny of one class over all other classes of one interest over all other interests in the country are we going to knock under i say to a minority whether it is a labour minority or any other are we going to tolerate bolshevism and a soviet government here if there are any persons present who think that that is our attitude and our intention i tell them now plainly it is not in their own language in our good old county proverb as sure as god's in gloucester it is not and never will be the sooner they understand that the better i do not say that there are any persons present who would be guilty of so gross an error i do not believe there are i do not believe that there is any intelligent person in this room who will not agree with me when i say that though it is just and right that labour should have a voice in the government it is not just and it is not right that it should be the only voice it has been the only voice heard in russia for two years and what is the consequence bloodshed anarchy and bloodshed i don't say that we should have anarchy and bloodshed here england thank god is not russia but i do not say that we shall not have them and i do say that it rests with us with you and me ladies and gentlemen to decide whether we shall or shall not have them it depends on the action we take to-night with regard to this national law of liberty on the action taken on on other nights at similar meetings all over this england of ours it depends in two words on our united action whether we shall have anarchy or stable government whether this england of ours shall or shall not continue to be a free country remember two things the league is national and it is a league of liberty it would not be one if it were not the other you will say perhaps many of you are saying this league is all very well but what can i do perhaps you will even say what can wick do after all wick is a small place it isn't the capital of the county well i can tell you what wick can do it can be it is the first town in gloucestershire the first provincial town in england to start a national league of liberty they've got a league in london the parent league they may have another branch league anywhere any day but i hope that thanks to the very noble efforts of those ladies and gentlemen 
who have kindly consented to serve on my committee i hope that before long we shall have started leagues in gloucester cheltenham sirenster nailsworth and stroud in every town village and hamlet in the county i hope thanks to your decision to-night ladies and gentlemen to be able to say that wick little wick has got in first all around us for fifteen twenty miles round there are hamlets villages and towns that haven't got a league that know nothing about the league wick on the hill will be the centre of the league for this part of the cotswolds it is impossible to exaggerate the importance of the principle at stake impossible therefore to exaggerate the importance of this league therefore impossible to exaggerate the importance of this meeting of every man and woman who has come here to-night and when you rise from your seats and step up to this platform to enroll your names as members of the national league of liberty i want you to feel every one of you that you will be doing an important thing a thing necessary to the nation a thing in its way every bit as necessary and important as the thing the soldier does when he rises up out of his trench and goes over the top it was then and then only that young horace giggled but he covered his collapse with a shout of hear hear that caused fanny and barbara to blow their noses simultaneously as for ralph he hid his face in his hands like him said mr waddington you will be helping to save england and what can any of us do more he sat down suddenly in a perfect uproar of applause and drank water in spite of the applause he was haunted by a sense of incompleteness there was something he had left out of his speech something he had particularly wanted to say it seemed to him more vital more important than anything he had said a solitary pair of hands mrs levitt's hands conspicuously lifted were still clapping when mr hitchin's face rose like a red moon behind and a little to the left of her followed by the grey checked shoulders and red tie he threw back his head stuck a thumb in each armhole of his waistcoat and spoke ladies and gentlemen the speaker has quoted president wilson about the world being made safe for democracy he seems to be concerned about the future to be if i may say so in a bit of a funk about the future but has he paid any attention to the past has he considered the position of the working man in the past has he even considered the condition of many working men at the present time for instance of the farm labourer now in this country if he had if he knew the facts if he cared about the facts he might admit that whether he's going to like it or not it's the working man's turn just about his turn i needn't ask mr waddington if he knows the parable of the rich man and lazarus but i should like to say to him what abraham said to the rich man remember that thou in thy lifetime receivest thy good things and likewise lazarus evil things but now he is comforted and thou art tormented i don't want mr waddington to be tormented to be tormented too much not more than is reasonable a little torment say his finger scorched for the fraction of a second in that hot unpleasant place would be good for him if it made him think i say i don't want to torment him but i'll just ask him one question does he think that a world where it's possible for a working man just because he is a working man and not an english gentleman a world where it's still possible for him and his wife and his children to be turned out of house and home to suit the whim of an english gentleman does he think that a world where things like that can happen is a safe place for anybody i can tell him it isn't safe it isn't safe for you and me 
and if it isn't safe for you and me it isn't safe for the people who make these things happen and it isn't any safer for the people who stand by and let them happen and if the socialist if the bolshevist is the man who's going to see to it that they don't happen if a soviet government is the only government that'll see to that then the socialist or the bolshevist is the man for my money and a soviet government is the government for my vote i don't say mind you that it is the only government i say if it were mr waddington doesn't like bolshevism none of us like it he doesn't like socialism i think he's got some wrong ideas about that but he's dead right when he tells you if you're afraid of bolshevism and a soviet government that the remedy lies in your own hands if there ever is a day of reckoning what mr waddington would call a revolution in this country you we i every one of us sitting here will be done with according as we do he sat down and mr waddington rose again on his platform solemn and a little pale he looked round the hall to show that there was no person there whom he was afraid to face it might have been the look of some bold and successful statesman turning on a turbulent house confident in his power to hold it unless i have misheard him what mr hitchin has just said ladies and gentlemen sounded very like a threat if that is so we may congratulate mr hitchin on providing an unanswerable proof of the need for a national league of liberty there were cries of hear hear from sir john corbett and from mr hawtrey of medlicott then a horrible thing happened slight and rustling at first then gathering volume there came a hissing from the back rows packed with colonel grangers and mr hitchin's men then a booing then a booing and hissing together sir john scrabbled on to his little legs and cried order there order mr waddington maintained an indomitably supercilious air while sir john brought his fist down on the table probably the most energetic thing he had ever done in his life with a loud shout of order colonel granger and mr hitchin were seen to turn round in their places and made a sign to their men and the demonstration ceased mr waddington then rose as if nothing at all had happened and said any ladies and gentlemen wishing to join the league will please come up to the platform and give their names to miss madden any persons wishing to subscribe at once may pay their subscriptions to miss madden i will now call your attention to the last item on the programme and ask you all to join with me very heartily in singing god save the king everybody except colonel granger and mr hitchin rose and everybody except the extremists of the opposition sang one voice it was mrs levitt's voice was lifted arrogantly high and clear above the rest and him victorious happy and glorious long to reign over us god save the king mr waddington waited beside barbara madden at the table he waited in a superb confidence after all the demonstration engineered by colonel granger had had no effect the front and middle rows had risen to their feet and a very considerable procession was beginning to file towards the platform mr waddington was so intent on this procession barbara was so busy taking down names and entering subscriptions and making out receipts sir john and lady corbett and the rest of the proposed committee were talking to each other so loud and fast ralph and horace were so absorbed in looking at barbara that none of them saw what was happening in the body of the hall 
only fanny caught the signals that passed between colonel grainger and mr hitchin and between mr hitchin and his men then colonel grainger stood up and shouted i protest mr hitchin stood up and shouted i protest they shouted together we protest sir john corbett rushed back to his chair and shouted order and the back rows the ranks of hitchin's men stood up and shouted we won't sign we won't sign we won't sign and then young horace did an unsuspected thing a thing that surprised himself he leaped on to the front bench and faced the insurgent back rows his face was red with excitement and with the shame and anger and resentment inspired by his father's eloquence but he was shouting in his hoarse breaking adolescent voice look here you blackguards there at the back if you don't stop that row this minute i'll jolly well chuck you all out only one voice the voice of mr hitchin's biggest and brawniest quarryman replied come on sir young horace vaulted lightly over the bench followed by ralph and the two were steeplechasing down the hall when mr hitchin made another of his mysterious signals and the men filed out obediently one by one ralph and horace found themselves in the middle of the empty benches laughing into each other's faces colonel grainger and mr hitchin stood beside them smiling with intolerable benevolence mr hitchin was saying the men are all right mr bevan they don't mean any harm they just got a bit out of hand horace saw that they were being magnanimous and the thought maddened him i don't blame the men he said and i don't blame you hitchin you don't know any better but colonel grainger ought to be damned well ashamed of himself and i hope he is colonel grainger laughed so did mr hitchin throwing himself back and swaying from side to side as his mirth shook him look here mr hitchin that'll do horry said ralph he led him gently down a side aisle and through a swing door into the concealed corridor beside the platform there they waited don't imagine for one moment said young horry that i agree with all that toshy talk but after all he's got a perfect right to make a fool of himself if he chooses and he's my father i know from first to last horry you behaved beautifully well what would you do if your father made an unholy ass of himself in public my father doesn't no but if he did i'd do what you did sit tight and try and look as if he didn't then said horace you look as big a fool yourself not quite you don't say anything besides your father isn't as big a fool as those london leaguers who started the silly show sir maurice gedge and all that crowd he didn't invent the beastly thing no said horace mournfully he hasn't even the merit of originality he meditated still mournful look here ralph what did that blackguard hitchin mean he isn't a blackguard he's a ripping good sort i can tell you if every employer in this confounded commercial country was as honest as old hitchin there wouldn't be any labor question worth talking about oh damn his honesty what did he mean was it true what he said was what true why that my father turned the ballingers out yes i'm afraid it was why say how disgusting of him you know i always thought he was a bit of a fool my father but i didn't know he was that beastly kind of fool he isn't said ralph he's just a fool i know did you ever hear such putrid rot as he talked i don't know for the kind of silly thing it was his speech wasn't half bad what about going over the top oh lord and after turning the ballingers out too ralph was silent what's happened to him he didn't used to be like that he must be mad or something ralph thought of mrs levitt 
he's getting old and he doesn't like it that's what's the matter with him but hang it all ralph that's no excuse it really isn't i believe ballinger gave him some provocation well, i don't care what he gave him he'd no earthly business to take advantage of it not with that sort of person besides it wouldn't matter about ballinger so much but there's old susan and the kiddies he doesn't see how perfectly sickening it is for me it isn't very nice for your mother no it's jolly hard on the poor mater well i can't stick it much longer i'm just about fed up with horatio bish i shall clear out first thing in the morning before he's down i don't care if i never see him or speak to him again oh i say i say what about the midsummer holidays oh damn the midsummer holidays isn't it rather rotten to take a line you can't possibly keep up that's all right whatever i may do in the future said young horace magnificently i've got to give him his punishment now ralph laughed young horace was as big an egoist as his father but with these differences his blood was hot instead of cold he had his mother's humour and he was not a fool ralph wondered how he would have felt if he had realised mrs levitt's part in the ballinger affair end of chapter seven part two recording by expatriate in bangor maine